0: So Colossians 2, verses 6, to the end of the chapter. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, "'having been buried with him in baptism "'and raised with him through your faith "'in the power of God who raised him from the dead. "'When you were dead in your sins "'and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, "'God made you alive in Christ. "'He forgave us all our sins, "'having canceled the written code with its regulations "'that was against us and that stood opposed to us. "'He took it away, nailing it to the cross.' And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And now follows our text. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Saying about laying up God's word in our heart, so that we may walk in his ways faithfully. And so this morning we get to hear God's words, so that we may treasure these words in our heart, and that we may be led to the true Christian religion. And so, dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, why do we do what we do? Young people will ask a lot of questions especially of their parents or their teachers or their catechism instructors. They will ask, why do we do the things that we do? Why this way? And this is especially true when it comes to matters of religion and spirituality. Why do we sing what we sing? Why do we worship like this? Why do we have the Lord's Supper this often? Why do I go to catechism? What's the point of all this? And sometimes these questions can seem a bit snarky or disrespectful. But even if that's the case, questions are always welcome. In Exodus 12, 26, God tells us that our children will ask us, What does this worship service even mean? And we are to give an explanation you see questions provide an opportunity to teach. But a big problem arises in the church when we forget the reasons why. A generation will continue to enforce a religious tradition but they can't explain why this is biblical. This is just the way we do things. They tell their children this is what we, our people, our church has always done. And perhaps that religious tradition is even biblical, it's even wise, and so things may look good, healthy from the outside for a while. But since they only hold these traditions for traditionalism's sake, and that this is the answer they give their children, when the children grow up, they will throw off this religious tradition and they'll insert their own ways of doing things and they'll use the exact same reason. You held it for tradition's sake well, we hold it for our tradition's sake. And the parents or the pastors, they have no basis to actually critique or judge the children because both generations had a religion based on their own personal will or opinion. One generation said, we do this because our ancestors chose to do this. And the new generation, they'll say, well, we do this because we chose to do this. Both are based on human will, human opinion. A church that is based on this traditionalism will quickly fall into liberalism. And this is what threatens all churches that our religion, our spirituality, becomes impure. It becomes false, based on human opinion. So we need to ask ourselves, what is true religion? What is pure spirituality? And we need to seek God's answer to this, not man's answer to this. And so we see this in God's word and so this morning the spirit is redirecting us to humble ourselves to get rid of any impure religion or spirituality we may have and to pursue to hold on to what is true and pure and so the theme of this sermon is that the pure and true religion is christian and the reason is that it is because it is found in christ Second, it is connected to Christ. And third, it has died with Christ. And so in verses 6 to 15 that we just read, we heard about how the Colossians must not be taken captive by false teaching, an empty philosophy or religion. He says that this empty philosophy has been disarmed By Jesus Christ. But now, in the rest of chapter two, Paul is going to show us how inadequate the Mosaic law is, this empty philosophy that has passed away. But more importantly, Paul is going to show us that how great, how exalted our Lord Jesus Christ is. And we'll see that our Lord is central to all pure and true spirituality it's only in Jesus that we have true have a real true religion so our first point true spirituality is found in Christ or it's grounded in him and the spirit teaches us this in verses 16 to 17 let's read that together Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17, our first point. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come, that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You see the false teachers in Colossae, they said that true spirituality is found in what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon or a Sabbath day. They were saying that to be part of the true religion, you needed to observe Jewish dietary laws, the Jewish religious festivals and the Sabbath day. And now in the Jewish religious calendar, we have that weekly sabbath day on saturday and throughout the year there were these various religious holidays and the colossians were being told you must follow these if you want to be religious these are the defining identity the markers of the philosophy of judaism this is how the jewish people were set apart from the gentiles And the false teachers in Colossae were saying to the Colossian church, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be holy, set apart from the world, you need to follow these Jewish observances. And in the church today, some people can think like this too, that you need to follow the religious holidays if you want to really be the church or to really be spiritual And we can add rules upon rules that are not found in Scripture about what must must and must not be done on Sundays and what holidays we must observe. And it's in this way that we too fall into the prideful idea, the prideful idea, that the more rigorously we follow our own self-made rules, the more spiritual we are. We begin thinking that these man-made observances make us more spiritual. But observing those self-imposed rules, it doesn't make you any more spiritual than another Christian. And brothers and sisters, we too can set up our own distinctives, let's say. Our own markers of true spirituality. And we can pride ourselves in these markers these distinctives even though they aren't solidly based on christ and his word but that is not ordinary in the good sense that's not ordinary biblical religion rather that's prideful man-made religion and so we must be guard against such attitudes in our hearts attitudes of building up more and more of our own self-imposed rules The false teachers believed you had to follow these Mosaic laws to be a part of God's people. And this meant that they were judging the Colossian Gentile believers. The false teachers, they were saying, you are not part of God's people until you observe these days and you stop eating this, stop drinking that. And so the Spirit of God, next in our text, gives courage to the Colossians and to us. The Spirit tells us, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Verse 16. The Spirit tells them, I know these people say you don't have true religion, but don't believe what they say about you. Reject their words. Remember that Jesus has disarmed these rulers and authorities. He has disarmed their attack of judgment on you. They cannot condemn you saying you don't belong to me. You are God's children. So don't take their judgments upon you to heart. And another thing about these false teachers is that they actually don't understand what true religion is. They don't understand what true religion is. Paul says there, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Mosaic law, the old covenant was inadequate. It was just a shadow preparing the world for the real thing, preparing the world for Jesus Christ. Just imagine for a moment that your spouse has to, move, has to move far away. And so to keep in touch, you both get a burner phone to continue to communicate and be connected. But then your spouse comes home, and she puts the phone down, she puts it away, so that you two can be present together, communing in person, face-to-face, to spend time with each other in person. Well, the old covenant was like that phone, a way to have a relationship with God, a covenant with God. But now God has come in person. He has put the phone away. He has abolished it, as the Spirit says, to the Corinthian church. But many in the church, these false teachers, were wanting to keep using that phone, the old covenant, to relate to God. But it was useless now because God had put the phone away. He had come in person to be fully present with the people of God through the new covenant. The phone had been thrown out and replaced with the real deal. And so Paul is saying you can try to use the phone, but it's only dead noise on the other side. It only distracts you. It only leads you away. It only stops you from actually being present and having a relationship with God. We have the reality in Jesus Christ now. We don't need the old ways. And we don't need any new ways that man comes up with either. Because Jesus Christ is the only way to to God. Now, you might not be tempted like the early Christians to use the Mosaic laws instead of Jesus Christ, but believers have always struggled with finding all we need in our Lord. Our hearts continually create religious markers or practices that become idolatrous, legalistic ways of drawing near to God, man-made ways of being spiritual or pious now in the 1500s a couple hundred years ago when the English pastors left the Roman church and they were trying to do all things according to the Bible they were met with church authorities trying to make them wear special clothing this is called the vestment controversy for those who love who want to research this history later now, if you've ever seen a Catholic priest or bishop, well, that clothing is called a vestment. And the English monarchs, the English church authorities, were trying to make all the pastors wear these special clothes. And they had all sorts of sort of uh, pious spiritual reasons that the pastors should be required to wear these things. But they told the pastors, you have to wear this if you want to serve God's church. But faithful Christians, they resisted this. Not that it's automatically wrong to wear such vestments or clothing, but it's wrong to require others to wear them. And we might not have explicit rules like this from the history of the Church of England. But for example, this past week I was talking to a Baptist pastor who was telling me about certain clean and unclean uh, distinctions some believers make regarding what preachers should wear. He was telling me that in his uh, circle, some say it's unclean, for instance, to wear a skinny tie, apparently. And when he told me, I didn't even know about these categories of a skinny tie versus a, a wide tie, I guess. But some Christians, they have these clean, unclean distinctions in fashion regarding what people, especially their pastors, should or shouldn't wear. And now that, not that we, what we wear doesn't have any meaning. And it's not that what we wear doesn't affect us psychologically. I'm not trying to get into all of that. And in a cultural context, obviously, clothing has, does communicate. But some would say that this is what you need to wear if you want to be reverent towards God. And others will say, if you want to be authentic before God, you can't wear that. Or if you're wearing that, you're a hypocrite. And when, but it's when the, these kind of attitudes fill the church, when these become central to our understanding of piety, piety, about all these various ideas of clothing, what to wear and not to wear, that the church becomes led astray. But we have to remember that this is not true spirituality. It's not true piety. Rather, true piety is to be clothed with Christ, grounded in him. The Old Testament laws on clothing, for instance, what the priest should wear, they first direct us toward Christ before they have any application to us. In Christ, we have the reality. In Jesus, we see that we are supposed to be cleansed. We are supposed to cleanse ourselves in Christ's blood, confessing, believing, and putting off, a clothing metaphor, putting off our sin. That is what true religion is about. Our hearts and attitudes must keep the reality of Jesus central to our piety. Don't let yourself be bogged down by people's self-imposed or by your own self-imposed laws or practices, but keep your heart directed to Christ. Next, we see that the false spirituality was only connected to the self rather than Christ. By this, I mean that It was self-centered rather than Christ-centered. It was a spirituality. This philosophy was a spirituality that was prideful and that looked to itself. And so let's read verses 18 to 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. But he has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as Christ causes it to grow. These false teachers, they delighted in false humility. They presented themselves to the Colossians and to the world as really pious really spiritual people. And they did this by eating little or by going about outwardly showing showing their lowliness. People would say about them, wow, they fast so much. They do this and that. They're so spiritual. But in reality, this was all not out of humility, but it was actually out of vanity. They thought that these practices... Self-made practices made them more spiritual. I just think about the Roman Catholic practice of Ash Wednesday, when they put ashes on their forehead. Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, in the same spirit as Paul's words here, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Also delighted in, verse 18, the worship of angels. We see here that the church, old and new, has been tempted to worship or become obsessed with angels. You know, angels are wonderful, but we have to remember that they are only Christ's servants. They cannot help us apart from Jesus. And we have to remember that they are creatures like us. Just think about the movies or the stories that are told about angels. Sometimes these movies or these narratives are even portrayed as somehow Christian. But usually the only characters, the only actors are actually these angels. The angels are completely separated from from any notion of, of God. They're talked about apart from God. And the glory and attention is given to the angels rather than the Lord And finally, in verse 18, we see that these false teachers go into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. These false teachers in Colossae, they're always talking about the visions they had, real or not, and they think that they have.